Welcome everyone to the Lair of Secrets podcast, a podcast about exploring the sprawling caverns of gaming, hidden treasures of geekdom, and the unexpected intersections of reality. My name's Ken Newquist, and I said I wouldn't buy any more RPGs. I lied. <laughs> and I am David Moore, and I harnessed the power of the lunar eclipse and kept the sun lit. You're welcome. Impressive. <laughs> yes. So today we're actually going to talk about Cyberpunk 2020, or not Cyberpunk 2020, Cyberpunk Red uh and our upcoming campaign but let's talk a little bit about uh what's been going on with the two of us uh between last time and this time this this we actually had only one week instead of two weeks between our episodes so i have a shorter update uh that's okay i'll make up for that So um, I've been reading Count Zero, which is the William Gibson's follow-up to Neuromancer. Uh, it's the second book in the Sprawl trilogy, and I'm just going to go out and maybe somebody's going to have to revoke my Cyberpunk card. I don't think I realized that his first three books, were like that those three books were called the Sprawl trilogy mm. until I went into Goodreads and added it to my bookshelf. Um, I also don't think I ever read Count Zero. I've, I know that I've read the first one, which is Neuromancer, and I know that I've read Mona Lisa Overdrive because it's iconic. Um, just the name is iconic. Yes. But uh, I'm 99.9% .9 sure that I have never read Count Zero, which is nice because it's new cyberpunk that I haven't read, and it's by Gibson, which means it's good. So. <laughs> yep, yep. I have not, uh, like, I just started Neuromancer. Uh, I don't know if I actually read it. I am enjoying his prologue where he talks about the fact that he has payphones in the book and hadn't thought about <laughs> the fact that even though in science fiction at the time they had wireless communication devices, but no one thought of a phone that was a wireless right. communication device. <laughs> right. <laughs> there were still payphones and, and phone books. Yeah, and that's, you know, like we were talking about in the last episode, it's it's interesting now in 2022, because he wrote that prologue, and I think it was like 2006, 2000, I think it was around 2006, it was Probably. right when, when smartphones were really taking off, and um, and and mobile phones had really kind of, dom were dominating the, the landscape, right? But now we're, we're even so much further down the road than he was then, and yep. the thing is, like we were talking about last time, we're getting to the point where everyone's like, you know what, I'm going back to the wired connection <laughs> <laughs> because this whole wireless thing isn't working out it's not secure enough you know whatever right so yep. it, it's coming full circle it's yep. it's okay it's okay but i'm enjoying i mean neuromancer was fantastic i think we talked about it briefly last time i mean i really enjoyed reading it again it's uh he's got a he's got a great way with words i mean mm -hmm. not quite on the same like he and stevenson approached neil stevenson approached things in, in different ways but i both i love i just love reading his his words cool. <laughs> and how he describes things and uh and you know the whole like the opening line to neuromancer this the the uh sky, the sky was into a dead channel dead to a dead channel that's a yeah. great turn of phrase right this yeah. is just a tremendous and actually in his prologue he talks about like he didn't think he didn't realize the audience would have seen it differently than he did. Like he saw a black and white television, you know, like that was, you know, a really old console television with fabric covered speakers and and black and white static. Whereas right. even the people who were reading the book then were probably thinking possibly like color static, which was mostly black and white, but occasionally there'd be little right. pops of color in there, which is slightly different. 
but uh and i kind of wonder what someone reading it today would would think of it because you don't really see static anymore right it's sky blue it's sky yeah. blue yeah right like it's a dead a dead channel on like you know your your television right now is usually just like no output so it just defaults to blue or something right or maybe yep. black depends on your tv yep so yeah so that was i'm enjoying it it's a nice uh it's a nice throwback to my youth yep um, also you you said you lied earlier i did lie all right so we're gonna, we're gonna do a little bit of a callback here folks and i have a visual prop for our friends on twitch if you remember correctly free league over the summer had a sale which i participated mm -hmm. in it was half off forbidden lands which is this cool uh hex crawly uh fantasy school renaissance fantasy type yep. thing where you remember you're like you're not heroes they're very clear that you're not heroes mm. but you're like thieves and scoundrels and what have you who are crossing over the border into a recently cursed and the cursed has been lifted land filled with all kinds of horrors ruled by demons what have you they sent me the swedish version which newquist i am swedish i don't read swedish um their mistake they said keep the box so thank you free league i appreciate that I feel like I'm channeling my ancestors, but unfortunately, because I don't actually read Spanish, uh, read Swedish, I couldn't actually take advantage of it. However, just now in November, I received <laughs> the English version of Forbidden Lands. Nice, nice. <laughs> Which uh, it's it's very nice. It's uh, now I have two sets. I'm I'm in, you know what I'm I'm tempted to keep them both, and if mm -hmm. I ever play this with my friends, give them like the the Swedish version. Swedish versions of handouts <laughs> and the map and what have you, right? And make them try and understand the Swedish yep. version, right? But yep. it, it comes with two cool faux leather books. Nice. Um, one for the game master, one for the player. I have the PDF, uh, I which does is not the same. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super duper cool, and I have so many stickers. Um, like I'll just keep it in the box because I can't get it out. There are stickers. Oh, the so similar to like Gloomhaven, where as you explore things, you can put stickers on the map. Yeah, so you, you nice. explore the map, and then you put the stickers on when you find stuff. So, um, and then there's cool. a Legends and Adventures book. So it's a very nice, very fat, very heavy box set, which I now have two of. Nice. It's just one I can't understand. So <laughs> I kind of wonder if, because it's a hex crawl, I kind of wonder if it would work with like something like a website and play-by-post. I think it could. I don't know. I have I have not read anything because I have been good and I have been concentrating. <laughs> I ha although I have bought more role playing games, which means I'm not being entirely good. Although I have bought more games, I haven't been reading them. Okay. Because I'm focused on Cyberpunk Red. Gotcha. Which I am making steady progress getting through. I think it's Cyberpunk Red made me the most of a role playing game book I've read in years. <laughs> gotcha. Because I have to run it, so I actually have to read it. <laughs> yeah, they they recently came out with. It was like an uh, basically an update to their the pre-release that they did because the pre-release stuff, the rules changed between the pre-release and the release, which is, you know, uh, kind of normal if you're releasing it as like a, uh, a mini playtest sort of thing. And I'm trying to remember uh, what the name of it is. And by trying to remember, I mean, I'm going to our Talsorian games right now. <laughs> and uh, it's under their downloadable content, game aids, and DLC. And it is, could be organized a little better. So they have the Jumpstart kit. And then recently they also did Tales of the Red Plus, which is all the maps that are in Tales of the Red, you know, like their original size, not like the teeny tiny size that are, is in the right. PDF. 
definitely very helpful when I'm doing Tailspire stuff, doing more maps in there uh, just for fun. I'm trying to find it now. Thought there was another one. Maybe I, maybe it is not a free download. I thought it was. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't I haven't come across it yet, but I okay. believe you that it's out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh basically it's it's an update to the Jumpstart kit. It's basically the same thing. Uh, oh, so, uh, cyber easy mode is what it's called. Right. Yes. Yeah. We talked about it last time, I think. Yeah, and so easy mode is stripped down version. Like if you want to do a one shot, you could, you could do easy mode and not buy the books and such. Right. They just announced, I believe it was today uh, or maybe yesterday that they are doing the cyberpunk edge runners uh, kit, which is, mm. I believe might even, it's either a book or a box set, but it's basically taking cyberpunk red into the cyberpunk 2077, 2076, 2077 mm. world. So that'll be interesting. That would be excellent. So talking about cyberpunk that's not cyberpunk red, uh, Cyborg is now okay. almost out. So Cyborg is the science fiction iteration of Morkborg. You Mork, kickstarted it, right? I, no, I did not. I missed the Kickstarter, which oh, okay. I, I, I was uh, disappointed because I, I only got into Morkborg after Morkborg. Uh, you know, I knew how to pronounce it and then we didn't talk about it for a while. I always say Morkborg in my head. In any case, <laughs> they uh, I missed the Kickstarter because I didn't get into the original game until much later. Um, but this is, so it, the Kickstarter had come and gone, but now it's coming out. It's dropping November 15th, um, or dropped November 15th, given how our release schedule usually goes. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a it's a similar aesthetic to Morkborg. So it's got all the crazy art and uh, tremendous color schemes and like just makes your head hurt in a, pleasant sort of way um but it's post it's it's not post-apocalyptic cyberpunk it's like apocalyptic cyberpunk if like i understand the apocalypse correctly. is happening the apocalypse is happening but it's in the future okay. and um i can't wait to see exactly what that entails i don't know how liberally i would borrow from uh cyborg for cyberpunk bread but we will find <laughs> out i ordered the pdf i got it so i have the pdf so i haven't i've resisted the temptation to read them because one, I'm getting the physical book, and for this particular game, reading the physical book is half the fun. And second, I really am trying to be good and concentrate on Cyberpunk Red. <laughs> nice. Now, you were speaking kind of quickly, and my ears heard Cyberpunk Bread. Oh. And, <laughs> and what's funny is it, it reminded me of a couple of things, which is there's a, a very dystopian cyberpunk-y uh, story by Cory Doctorow called Unauthorized Bread. Um, and it's basically along the same sort of lines as uh, as David and Cyberpunk Edge Runners when he's trying to do his clothes and he's halfway through the laundry wash and the and the laundry machine says, "Hey, you've run out of credits," and doesn't even allow him to finish his wash. Unauthorized bread. It's a short story. I would say go look it up. It's it's pretty pretty interesting. It's about the idea corporations and landlords have put in all of these devices that require you to have a subscription and what happens if you are if you're an underprivileged person how do you toast your bread if you can't buy the right kind of bread that matches the toaster that you want to put into the toaster to toast your bread that's kind of a very cyberpunk thing you know i could totally see drm on a that could be a thread that you could have where uh, someone has 
rented cyberware and hasn't kept up their their payments yet. It, it also sounds like something kind of akin or that you could could have seen in Brazil. Yes, in the movie Brazil totally. by Terry totally. Gilliam. Totally, Gilliam. Br- Sorry, Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam. But, yes, Brazil is is amazing. It's an amazing yes movie. We're talking about dystopia. I mean, it's not cyberpunk, but it's got aspects of actually some things I might want to include in a campaign. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> The cyber part the isn't there, but the punk certainly is there. Yes. And the yes. dystopian future is definitely there. So other things that I've already purchased but haven't arrived yet include Mothership, which is another sort of old school, lightweight role playing game. You like We've aliens. talked about it. I do. I love <laughs> aliens. Uh, I need more games that feature people uh, trapped in space with monsters. But unfortunately, it was supposed to drop this month and it's not. It's now going to it looks like it's going to come out in the. Uh, Q1 of, of 2023. Got it. Uh, but I did get the work in progress versions of two modules, Dead Planet, which I already owned, but it's like the updated version for Mothership 1.0 and A Pound okay. of Flesh, which I did not already own. Um, so those are two modules that have the same sort of... They, they Both Mothership and Cyborg and Morkborg are part of this kind of next generation of role-playing games that decided to do fun and interesting things with layout. They may confuse you and mm-hmm. may be difficult to read, but they are interesting. Got it. <laughs> I'd say more. I'd say mothership's layouts tend to be far more functional, but very, very compressed, like just the absolute essentials that you need to generate atmosphere plus understand what it is you're doing. Got it. Um, probably a lot of improv required, but it, it's some mm. good stuff. And I'm looking forward to reading them when I'm done with Cyberpunk <laughs> Red. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, it's it's testing your willpower here. It's totally testing my willpower. Christmas can't get here long enough because they need a month of just reading books <laughs> <laughs> or a week of reading books for Christmas yeah. break, you know. So you've been doing some cyberpunky stuff. I, I have been doing a little bit. There's other stuff that's gone on, but like one of the things that I was working on was Chris Miller on before. He was part of our Scum and Villainy crew, but he wants to learn more front end development as well as the back end development he already knows. And so we. Uh, pulled up Cyberpunk Scream Sheets, which is a PDF slash JPEG kit that our Talsorian Games uh, put out. He and I have been putting together a, basically a web version of it. When I started in my career, CSS was just called CSS. It wasn't called CSS1. It was just CSS. <laughs> Go just Cascading Style Sheets. We're now on Cascading Style Sheets three plus. I don't know what, I don't even know if it has a number, but I have stayed away from CSS as much as possible since then, uh, since I left my life as a designer and went into more programming. It is so amazing how much easier it is with (laughs) like 20 years of actual improvements. And so we're, we're basically putting together like a a front end thing where uh, a GM could put in some text, put in some titles, say, hey, I want to use this logo for Arasaka or this logo for Militech or or my own logo for a company I made up. We're going to put all that stuff together and you can then send that, like a printout of that or a PDF of that, or we haven't really thought about it as like a distrib- distribution thing. It's out there on GitHub as open source, but there's nothing there yet really. But Eventually, a GM could fill in all that stuff and like print a PDF and then send that screen sheet to, to their players. Gotcha. So it'll be a little bit different than the screen sheet layout that our Talsorian put out, but 
it's mainly there so that he and I can level up our skills a bit more. Cool. Perhaps you will get a chance to use that in our upcoming cyberpunk game. So that's this, which is our main topic tonight. Uh, we wanted to talk about brainstorm some, some of the major ideas of a campaign was what we had talked about before. You know, you and I talked shortly before we started recording, which was like, how deep do we want to go? Right. And you expressed that you didn't want to go too deep because you didn't know if the players wanted to play that game. And so one of the ideas that I, that I had that, that came to the forefront of my mind is something that Matt Colville, uh, MCDM Productions, he's on YouTube and Twitch and such. But like I saw one of the things that he put out, which was like when he starts a new campaign, he has basically just a very simple just Word document that he sends out to people or a simple email, two or three different ideas with two or three sentences each of like, hey, this is going to be this type of game. You know, we're going to we're going to be mostly a city game where you're part of a mercenary group. It's going to be high politics and some combat. Uh, and then another one of blah, 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 lots of combat and exploration um, or other things along those lines to kind of both give an idea of what the campaign would be about that he's interested in running. And also, hey, do you like politics? Do you like combat? Do you like exploration? These are the things that fit that you and I had started kind of talking about that as a way to talk about the things that you've been thinking of, and then maybe we'll kind of refine those into that for sort of format. If that sounds good to you. Yeah, I think that's a good plan. Cool. All right. Yeah. I think, you know, what I've been largely doing as I've been, we've been talking about cyberpunk for like this whole season. Yeah. <laughs> and as I've been rereading Neuromancer and, you know, uh, you know, starting to play Cyberpunk 2077, watching Edge Runners. Uh, I'm also watching Blade Runner right now, just like squirreling away ideas as I as I see them, just like putting them into Google Keep and saying, OK, this is a thing that I think would be interesting. Nice. Um, so that's basically where I've been at. And then eventually and I think this is pretty much how I do campaigns. Like I, I rarely sit down and go, I have this great arc. Um, maybe when I was younger, I did that because I had more time to sit down and think deep thoughts. But now I don't. <laughs> yeah, I was very much a sandbox GM. The as Dune as the beginning of Dune puts it, beginnings are a very delicate time. If I could get past the beginnings <laughs> and understand who the characters were, then the rest of the arc stuff would happen. Like I'd have some major things happening in the world that the players could latch onto, but if they didn't, right. I wasn't married to that. Like. Like those things would still happen and they'd affect the right. world around them, but they didn't have to directly interact with it. There are more than just them in the world. Yeah, I was very much more of a sandbox person than a de definite begin and end. And here's the novel I've written in the middle. Right. Here's the novel you're going to write as players in the middle. Right. So I, I think the key things, I mean, I love the the setup in cyberpunk red of like the rules for a cyberpunk player of style over substance attitude is everything live on the edge break the rules i like i like that setup i think it's an interesting four things to balance against one another mm -hmm. and and speaking of kind of just like balancing things this might be a bit of a forced segue but you had a character idea which i think is pretty cool yeah i, I one of the things that that anybody watching or listening later will be like David, you're you're a player. Why are you talking to Ken about the game that you're going to be playing in? This should be secret. 
And, and we thought about that. One of the ideas that we thought of uh, a little while back was, um, hey, what if I made a media character that was with and basically embedded in this edge runner group who was making like a documentary uh, or a slice of life uh, show? And, um, you know, maybe we have maybe, you know, if we get ambitious enough, we can do like a narration, you know, uh, a voiceover on some of our episodes when we release it of of like, this is what my character was was talking about. <clears throat> and so that way I can be privy to kind of this meta planning and maybe my character is some of the, is letting the rest of the party know here are things that are happening in the world. You know, it gives me the, right. the, the reason in character for that. That's why I'm allowed to look behind the curtain or see how the sausage right. is made. Your character knows stuff because uh, that's their job. Yeah. Also, I stuff. edit the podcast. So <laughs> if Ken were to do a solo episode, I would still be able to hear it. So we wanted to kind of like have some sort of thing in there. Plus, I mean, this goes into something completely to the side. I have uh, talked in the past about the Sparks campaign and they right. have what's called a replay system it, because it's been going on for so long and you can only write so many modules uh, <laughs> for the old crew and yet still have 200 plus modules for anyone who wants to start up new. And so you can create a new character and replay modules you've played before. I have go gone into that and, and those modules, even if I remember them perfectly, which I never do, even if I remembered <laughs> them perfectly, I'm playing a completely different character. Everybody else there is completely different. And so the module plays completely differently for me the second time than it did the first time. And it is right. just as enjoyable. I don't have a problem with knowing things and then, and then Ken's not going to tell me, oh, they're, they're going to there's going to be a secret door here and they're going to jump out and right. ambush you there. He's, they're not going to tell me that. But even if I knew that, like in the star Wars campaign, that whole sequence could go completely differently anyway. So uh, right. I don't have a problem with that. Whatever plan we come up with will not survive contact with the players. This has long been established. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. And just because we brand something here, brainstorm something here doesn't mean that it doesn't turn out that there's a spin or a hook or a twist that you just didn't see coming because the public knows one thing. Yeah. But the reality is something else. Yeah. You dealt in the depths of the cyberpunk reality. Right. Definitely. Definitely. So like the big question is uh, for you, but also for the players is what kind of stories are we interested in? Yeah. And I, th I think the thing that's been attracting me as I've been as particular, well, reading Cy as reading through cyberpunk red, but also reading neuromancer and thinking about some of the areas of cyberpunk that I haven't necessarily visited that often mm -hmm. as a player, like a narratively, like in a novel, I may have experienced it, but not as a player. Cause you know, I'm thinking primarily with shadow runs and you know, you we were talking before and you asked, you know, what are you hoping to do with this campaign? I'm like, I'm interested in playing cyberpunk without dragons. Not that I don't love shadow run, but I'm right. tired of the dragons and cybernetically enhanced orcs. <laughs> um, so there's that, right. But, yeah. Also, there's interesting niches out there that could be fun to explore. So off sea, offshore. So one of the things that Cyberpunk Red talks about is because the, the, the continents are, are trashed, right? Like there's 
food production is highly regulated by various corporations. There's ecological disaster everywhere because of global warming. It's yep. not great to be on land. But right. there are still like seasteaders, right? Like either through a flotilla off the coast or through, you know, old abandoned oil rigs, old abandoned seasteads. You know, that's where people decide to create their own micronations. Yep. And Cyberpunk Red itself talks about the, the, the people who went beneath the sea and created oh, basically yeah. underwater bases, right? Yep. And so I could see a storyline that I could have a lot of fun with where you basically, a couple different things, right? First of all, we know, well, it is known perhaps that the corporations have these secret undersea bases. What, what a, a great place to do a run, right? Like the threat of just like the lurking pressure above you. And perhaps you shouldn't be using your heavy weapons in an area that could crush us all to death. If uh, maybe <laughs> if we should punctures a wall. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we shouldn't be uh, using the full auto weapons in the observation dome. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, like uh, as uh, as uh, Sean Connery said in uh, Red Storm Rising, right? Not everything here reacts well to bullets in his <laughs> <laughs> Russian accent. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, but, you know, so that's that's one thing. I like the idea that the, they're out there, um, which brings me back to. Uh, well, it brings me to a lot of different inspirations, right? Like uh, Sequest DSV, which I loved when I was in college. Right. Okay. This was a giant underwater uh, like. The Enterprise underwater, right? Yep. Um, yep. Kind of like a starship that, that patrols the oceans. Um, and that kind of had some dystopian stuff to it. Yep. Um, and then, like, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, at the end, like, the, I think in the third, the second or third season, when it came to a close, the big cliffhanger was, like, all there was this underwater battle going on mm. um, as the timeline kept shifting. And uh, I think I can do spoilers for something that's been off the air for 10 years. Probably. Um, and it was just... Interesting that that like there was this whole high technology race happening under the under the sea, right? Interesting. Um, I didn't. I, I also like. I missed some of those episodes, so I didn't. I didn't know about that part. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that was the like the very last one. Like Sarah and John get saved on a submarine, and and they they actually, which I thought would have been the most interesting part of of. Well, I think it's the most interesting part of the Terminator series at this point. Like how the future and the past and the present keep changing as like. The for this forever war just keeps happening right and mm -hmm. different aspects of the timeline change mm -hmm. and and how do you deal with that right especially if you're aware of it right um but we're not going to do time travel in cyberpunk i don't think okay um but i also like the idea like you know the corporations now in i will say in cyberpunk red the 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 mega corps are not as powerful as they were in cyberpunk 2020 right, right. like after in the time of red the corporation the mega corps have had like if not bloody noses, uh, after the fourth corporate war, they just like destroyed each other, right? They right. have been greatly reduced in their influence. They're still out right. there, and there's you still don't want to mess with them, and they're still an appropriate overpowering there's, threat. There's still nothing other than other corporations and maybe a few governments that can keep a, any in in any one in particular corporation in line. You know, it's not right. like it's not like people are going to boycott Arasaka, and then all of a sudden they're going to change their mind. <laughs> You know, it would have to be like Militech or the U.S., you know, the U.S. government isn't called the U.S. government. But, you know, so right. one of the governments out there or like the high riders or whatever, pushing them into submission. But, yeah, they're not as they haven't regained the strength that they had in 2020. 
Right, and there's and there's a lot more factions and a lot more interesting factions to play with. So I like yep. the other way to go with seasteading is you got your your crazy ass libertarians living off on your seasteads, and they're like, we don't need your corporate stuff. We're going to rebuild everything from scratch, right? And right. they're doing maybe brilliant things out on these seasteads and like hacking things together, right? Because you know, the I, I remember seeing a conversation somewhere. It might have been on our our Slack team or on Twitter, and they were talking about. You know, oh, look at this cool, sleek cyberpunk thing. And like someone's like, that's not cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is when you take three different things and you hack them apart. And you you void all the <laughs> warranties and then you build a thing together. And I'm like, that is true. However, what we mostly see in cyberpunk, which goes back to style over substance and attitude is everything is like, I may hate the corporations, but damn it, if they've got a thing that's going to let me move at the speed of sound, I'm totally installing that. Yep. on my spine and yep. hating them all the while right yep so what if you got makers out there who are like we void warranties <laughs> we build yep. cool stuff and now the corpse are like we want that stuff yeah right? what if what so, if uh what if kiroshi makes the best optical you know best optical implants but the makers have uh have jailbroken them and and enhanced them beyond that uh you know what what happens if kiroshi wants that tech or worse yet what if like Arasaka wants that tech so that they can one up Kiroshi. Right, exactly. And maybe, or maybe somebody has a lead on these makers. They're laying low. Nobody actually knows about them, but they have the cool tech. You go visit them because you need the resources to be able to get down to the deep mm -hmm. of the underwater corporate hangouts, right? Or you strike a deal or, you know, I think there's some interesting things to be playing around with like there's not like there's water combat rules for cyberpunk right. but i don't think that would be the point <laughs> but there's also um like in uh in the lore of cyberpunk red they were also saying that like there's a lot more effectively startups as well right you know right. corporations that start and maybe flame out or just collapse later you know maybe some of those uh some of those makers like do the whole we're gonna make this in our garage and then you know get some funding and become a corporation to rival somebody else. Right. And because the mainland is so dangerous, you got to go hide somewhere. <laughs> right. Right. They, they can't, they can't be in the garage because, you know, any drone happening by might be able to, you know, take pictures of their specs, but, you know, going out on an old oil tanker doing stuff like that, that works there. Maybe it's a co-work space on an oil tanker for a bunch of startups. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right. And they occasionally send people into the mainland. Like they're their own rival gang, right? Yeah. Like they're going in, they're running around night city, they're voiding warranties and pissing everybody off. And then, you know, again, kind of calling back to Brazil, right? That's like rogue repair people, right? Rogue like, uh, what was it? Uh, <laughs> rogue aircraft, uh, the air conditioner repair man. Yes. Yes. We are going to help the little people, the people who, who can no longer print their bread because we're going to come in and we're going to fix it for you. And we're pissing everybody off while we do it. Right. Yeah. Um, actually, actually one, of our, one, of, one of our Twitch people just said uh, custom shops in the underground. I don't know when he said when they sent that. So apologies for not not seeing it earlier. But uh, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and uh, I think we've talked briefly about this before, but Werner Vinge wrote, uh, he's a great science fiction author, wrote a book called Rainbow's End. And in Rainbow's End, it's about this guy who goes into a coma. Um, or actually, no, he doesn't go into a coma. He, he has uh, dementia, and he's able to, he hits a golden landmine, and he is healed of his dementia. But he's been in a demented state or in a diminished state for like a decade. And when he comes back out of it, the future has arrived, and all kinds of technology has advanced. And he's just like, what do you mean we can't, like, 
there's no user serviceable parts. This is ridiculous. Let's just, <laughs> you know, get a chainsaw and cut it open, right? Like, um, yeah. Yeah. so there, there's a lot of that sort of inspiration that I think might, you know, our, our friends might be, uh, might be interested in. So I just looked up Rainbow's End and you know how we are with tangents here, especially me. <laughs> I didn't realize Werner Vinge was a still writing and be still alive. Yes. <laughs> Cause rainbow's end was 2006. I read, was it a fire upon the deep by yes. him, which and was really good. Yes. Um, yeah. And I, I need to read the rest of that series and I'm another book has been added to my list. Thanks. Ken. He's a great author. If you guys haven't read him, <laughs> he's, he's great, especially a fire upon the deep and, um, and a dark and a deepness in the sky are, are just really, really good. Yep. Really good. Definitely. Books. Um, and I think it was God, I get them confused now. But in one of those two, they have a, a concept we talked about before, which is like programmer archaeologist, right? Like you're mm -hmm. dig you're sifting through the hundreds well, of was, years of source code. Yeah, it's I, I think I don't know about the hundreds of years of source code, but that was basically like the beginning of Fire Upon the Deep is a group that is a set of archaeologists with an ancient like high tech civilization and yes. they unleash something um, like a defense system or whatever. And they take off in their rocket, you know, barely escaping with their lives or so they think, except that there's a single camera facing back toward the planet that this thing that has, they have unleashed gets into reprograms the, the reprograms, the software, and firmware in the camera and then takes over their ship and bad things happen. Yes. That's you what know. I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the beginning of well, the, the novel. Character. Right. <laughs> it gets better from there, folks. Right. But one of the main characters, that's what he does, right? Like he delves around and he, part of how he, how he advances things is that he's digging around in the corners because he knows random bits of, Which, of code from the before Because times. there's still like that. That's another area as well as, you know, there's, there's a huge ruins still in the middle of night city that's being uh yes. excavated rebuilt etc a lot of sub basements of of corporations and ruined buildings uh thanks to a certain atomic bomb that went off uh and <laughs> you know like there's stuff in there to to root around in so you know offensive archaeology can happen right right i, I, I like See, I just I have a gazillion ideas. I kind of want to riff with the players to figure out like which way we would want to go, right? Because I think all of these things could be potentially interesting, and I can see different ways that they would come together. Because the makers may be looking for something in the ruins, right? Which is how you tangle up. And I think one of the interesting questions, given the group of players I'm thinking will be playing this, uh, is: Do you side with uh, with the makers? Do you side with the corpse? Do you side with yourselves and play them against each other? Like, are you just out for profit? And like looking good doing it because that's a very cyberpunky. As we've talked about before, cyberpunk does not always end on a positive note. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And so, I, I, can you resist the temptation to help the little guy? <laughs> I think it. I think that's where the ideas of um, like, regardless of what the the plot parts are, the, the descriptors. Um, of like, hey, we're doing a lot of combat and some ex exploration in this plot line. Hey, we're doing a lot right. of intrigue um, and, you know, like corporation versus little guy or corporation versus upstart 
over here in this one, you know, and giving giving the players some choices there because you like certain plots don't mesh with other plot with those descriptors. So I think listing those out might might be good, you know, once we once we get through there. But like all of these. Totally can see like my media character being tapped in on a couple of different areas. You know, it's like, yeah, I was going through some archives and I found out that maybe this sub basement over here that they want us to go in, it might have some blah, 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 blah. And the thing is, even if the players don't get involved in it, like you were talking about before, these can still be a subplot. That's like, it's just happening in the background. It's going on. You need content for your screen sheet. And there's this thing that's happening and we're actively ignoring it because that's what players do. Yeah, actually, that's that's one of the things that I used to do (laughs) is similar to a screen sheet was between each D&D game that I was running uh, sandboxy wise, I would give like a summary of what happened the last time in the game to remind all the players and to kind of give them a physical record of here's what happened, you know, at least according to this bard who is writing this. But then a couple of others like, hey, this thing is happening over here in the Elven Kingdom. And hey, this thing is happening over here, um, you know, with with ships being lost or whatever. And then like those are little plot hooks that are just floating out there that if the players are motivated to go after them, they can. But if they aren't, that's okay. Right. And, and I, if, I like so, that about the scream sheets as well. It's like, yes, you don't, you can have multiple hooks on a single scream sheet. Right. Right. And if some randomly advanced, crazily complex weapon shows up because, you know, the makers uh, were selling it on the streets and somebody got advantage took it you know actually bought it and used it like oh hey yeah look at that it actually yeah, showed up in the game like the like the rail guns from eraser with arnold schwarzenegger right right, right. so um another <laughs> thought like kind of playing with the water stuff like a uh, rummage flotilla right like there's the the great the great plastic what the heck is that thing there's, called i see there, are, to it in there are multiple plastic like sargasso sea type floating detritus in the ocean right and yeah there's there's a even right now, there's a place called Ocean Cleanup um, that is that has created a special vessel that basically has a conveyor belt that sucks all this stuff up, lets the water drain off, and then they can sort it and put it into bags and recycle it or do whatever with it, or reclaim right. it. If they, if we can do it now, they can do it in 2045. And they have more inspiration to do it because the you know access to the natural resources maybe uh, is a lot scarcer in um in the cyber in the time in the time mm-hmm. of red mm-hmm. right like it suddenly, could also it could also be possibly either publicly known or a cover for them looking for things like uh container ships that went down or containers that fell off of container ships to salvage stuff uh out of the ocean as well. Or entire space stations that crashed into the ocean because there is a spot <laughs> in the Pacific Ocean, I kid you not, that the world's nations target all of their deorbit burns to hit. Ah. So when you try to deorbit why, a space which, station. Which is probably why they're so upset with China that they did not target that area. <laughs> yeah. um, recently, there was a, a, a couple of, of rocket launches that did not go well and China had to like deorbit them not de- they didn't even make it to orbit but they they landed in areas that were not expected for things like that to land <laughs> right <laughs> so you but know the not, other i did not know that that like multiple countries all said hey 
This area over here, it's our rocket graveyard. Yeah, I believe I, I, I may I believe I, I believe I'm speaking truthfully. I have to go out and find the actual article because it came up when they were talking about deorbiting the International Space Station because oh, okay. right? eventually it will be end of life. And when right. it comes down, it needs to come down in a controlled fashion. Under, unlike Skylab, for those of right. you who are which old landed enough, in parts of Australia. Yes. People yeah. were very concerned when I was a kid about exactly where the heck Skylab was going to hit because nobody yeah. was quite sure where Skylab I, was going to hit. So I, I <laughs> went being a space station. <laughs> yet another tangent. <laughs> I went to space camp in Huntsville, Alabama with my family and they had a piece of Skylab. Yes. I remember it that. Is, it's about the size of a desk, but it like, but it's like a solid like yes. cylinder um or nothing you would want to land on your house nothing you would want to <laughs> land anywhere near you um because if you landed if it landed anywhere near you uh you would feel it and it looks like it didn't it doesn't look like it fell out of orbit and burned it just looks like a piece of a broken thing it probably weighs i don't know 500 to a thousand pounds from what i was seeing i mean it was not an insubstantial or not a yeah light little piece of thing uh yeah disgruntled <laughs> ascendant ape is mentioning uh make it its own nation uh formed out of plastic and connected together as a giant mine that's that's yeah. uh pretty interesting yeah I, I think we could do that and snow crash i mean this is this is also you know so riffing off of uh snow crash and water world which gets a lot of crap but bringing it back right like from a dystopian future <laughs> It, it kind of works in ways, right? Yeah. But Snow Crash, I think, had a, had an aircraft carrier that had been a decommissioned aircraft carrier that uh, was the center of a large flotilla in the book, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yep. I remember um, there was an underwater thing, but it, it might have been that aircraft carrier that I'm remembering. But that was that was their place that they had a bunch of people hooked up and were basically being yes. used as computation power. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what that's. It's been a while since I read Snow Crash, but I think it's coming. I think it's coming around again this fall. Um, <laughs> it might be yeah. at the rate I'm going. At the rate it, I'm going. Another thing right talking there, about. So. <laughs> another thing, uh, you know, steal inspiration from anywhere, right? David Brin wrote uh, a novel called uh, Earth, and uh, this was his kind of take on a near future how things could go wrong, but how we might also be able to fix them. And one of the major things in that book was mining um, landfills, right? For right. valuable resources. Sure. Because for decades, we've been throwing out computers before we realized, hey, there's valuable metals yeah. <laughs> in the computers that we should probably get back, right? Yep. And there's there comes a point where- I mean, how, where, much, how much like steel and aluminum have been thrown in there in, in decades past because we didn't have recycling, we just threw it away. And gold and copper yep. and all of this stuff that's good conducting stuff. And if you yep. have veins of junk because somebody tossed out all of their old, uh, you know, 286s to make way for the 386s. Yep. You, know. you just have to dig through that layer of uh, ET cartridges. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but we can find a use for those, too. Um, they did actually so another, dig those uh, up, by the way. At, I heard. A few years back. I heard. Yeah. <laughs> I have not. I've still not played ET. I have not um, either. There's an ET board game coming my... out too, which. Oh really? We I, I made the joke of like, <laughs> what if it's like the the video game? What if it's a faithful rendition of the video game? Oh wow! <laughs> it's yeah. not. I'm sure it's better. 
My terrible 2600 game that I was never able to beat yet spent hours trying to do so is the Superman game for the 2600. Oh, I never had that one. It has you running around beating up thugs and occasionally trying to build a bridge that kept getting blown up. I don't think there was any way to beat it. My guess is was... there probably wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so there there could be, you know, continuing our riff on, on things crashing into the planet. You know, um, there's a lot of stuff up there. Skylab, to keep it, was uh, basically they took a Saturn V, which we used, moon rocket, right? We sent the Apollo missions to the moon using it. And they basically swapped out the topmost section and put in Skylab as a, as a kind of pre-built space station that got lifted into orbit, right? All one piece. Um, no assembly required. Uh, we got a lot bigger stuff up there, and in the time of Red, mm -hmm. there's even more big stuff up there. Yep. So there's the crystal palaces up there. Right. Right. So there's could and there's a lot of space junk in general. So you never know when that stuff's going to deorbit. And if something particularly interesting came down that someone had been tracking for quite a while and anticipating it was going to come down, uh, that could be another interesting thing, right? Oh, you yeah. know, crashing on land or crashing in the ocean, whatever, like these plot, these different aspects could start coming together. It's kind of um, like it, it's basically it. That part right there is the core of Dyson Fall as a game. True. <laughs> Um, yes, yes, exactly. You know, but, but for Cyberpunk Red, it's what's interesting about that is, you know, as horrible as your street life can be on Earth, most of the rich people have left. There's a decent amount of rich people still on Earth, but a lot of them are in orbit. A lot of them are beyond orbit. When people of that wealth go up there, they tend to take stuff with them. And so if any of that stuff falls, you know, that might be something uh very worthwhile to go get which also yes. might be not just riches but technology yes and what sort of entities might be tracking every bit of debris currently circling the circling the planet perhaps ai artificial intelligence right mm -hmm. um obviously uh ai shows up in neuromancer um yep and hardwired major spoiler the book and right and hardwired <laughs> right i think we talked about it last time too yep um you know, it's a, it's a theme and cyberpunk runs throughout cyberpunk. And so the question becomes, is it a protagonist? Is it an antagonist? Is it the fixer? Right. Is it, it doesn't all it really wants is to acquire things and it's not actually meant it, it doesn't want to take over the world. It just wants to do stuff. Yep. <laughs> right. It has its own cryptic mission that none of us understand because it's an AI, but it's facilitating a lot of these things. And it would keep track of every star in the sky and everything that's about to come crashing down. So it could yep. very easily be something that's working for or against your players to get them to the right place. Yep. How do you feel about AI as a character? How do I like feel as, a, about as it? an NPC? Well, I'm gonna before I go into that, I would say there's uh, another suggestion of a uh, a Soviet satellite that's been keeping an old Soviet satellite that's been keeping tabs on the nation of the world since the 1980s. That could be interesting. <laughs> the uh, how how would my media I, like I haven't delved too deep into the psyche of my media characters if that's what you're you're asking about. No, I was, I was thinking more along the lines of as a as a as a person who likes cyberpunk or as a player as a, as someone who could be in a campaign. How much do you like the idea of AI even showing up? Oh, um, I think it's fine. I think it's good. I think you might not like this take. It's a spicy one. I think <laughs> that AIs are the dragons of this uh, setting. Um, you know, like like uh, they AIs are are aliens. You know, they're dragons. They're 
both more and less powerful than than humans. You know, they have their own limitations, but they also have their own goals, which are very different than your normal humans and inscrutable. Right. I think it's interesting, you know, like you could have an AI that is totally a person who the players like, the players get along with, and they work with that AI, but then find out later that even though that AI likes them, um, what the AI's goal is, is totally antithetical to the player's survival. And the <laughs> <Right>. AI is like, <laughs> and? You know, like, right. like they, it's like, they're not doing it out of malice. They're just, this is what they want. And they're seeing the players as a, you know, as a tool right. to get there and, and playing them. Right. Like, but we're friends. Yes. But you're killing us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I sent you into that. Uh, I sent you into that old Arasaka facility, you know, to, to, to activate this thing you know, so that you could, so you could do this, but, but that thing was, you know, uh, you know, nanotechnology that is, you know, tearing us apart. Well, yes. I mean, my goal is to, you know, restructure that entire, uh, decrepit building there and have it become a new AI haven, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's going to end badly for you. Yeah. Not sorry about no. that, but don't worry. You'll live on forever in my memory. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll make sure to copy your engrams and and upload you. Yeah, I'll you're, have still, a you're still alive. You. What? Like, like you're still, you're still, you, you're still a consciousness. Um, why why are you having a problem that your body is melting? Yeah, disgruntled, uh, disgruntled ascended Abe says, "I thought this was what humans did all the time: use each other until you're no longer needed." What have I done wrong that you aren't doing to yourself? Exactly. Great. Yes. Right? Yes. And it's yes. Like if you talk in, in modern terms of what is machine learning, you know, coming from my background, I know that machines, AI or machine learning algorithms are trained by humans. And sometimes right. those humans don't train the machine learning algorithms very well. Um, there is several fairly well-known cases now of like facial recognition software where they're trying to detect lies or sketchiness or whatever, but they trained it on a subset of people who look like me. And therefore anyone who has different skin tones or different facial features or whatever is flagged by the machine learning algorithm. Yes. It's like, oops, <laughs> we created a racist AI. Oops. It was an accident. Let's try again. But, you know, like humans are imperfect. We're going to be creating imperfect AI and machine learning algorithms. You know, like that may not be this quite the same in Cyberpunk Red. Um, you know, like they may have created themselves in certain ways, like uh, not Rache Bar um Alt. Um, like Alt is an engram of a real person who has become right. an AI, but has also kind of lost herself and, you know, become more and less of the person that she was. And, uh, you know, like what happens when that AI, that engram uh, is what I think they call them in, in cyberpunk. But what happens if that, you know, fragments, which you and I might call having a kid, 
but right. like, like you have those things and you become less and less attached to a human, a human beginning, you know, the further generations down there you are. So yeah, you can totally have other AIs that are completely alien as well. Right. And uh, as a son, an ape calls out here, uh, Hey, could very well be a corporate AI that learned from a corporate programmer focused entirely on results and not the process of getting the results. Exactly. Which, uh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like let's train a corporate AI to get results, but not look at ethics, <laughs> not right. look at, not look at morals, not look at ethics, just results. Right. Um, totally. It worked within the parameters. Come on. Yeah. Uh, so talking about failed experiments, uh, one of the things that I loved about the matrix reloaded, I mean, it, ha it certainly has its flaws, but um, that I really liked was the idea of the previous iterations of the matrix and that ghosts and werewolves and vampires were <laughs> like, uh, were basically just echoes of things that had gone wrong or previous programs that survived the previous iterations of the matrix. And so reading through cyberpunk red and thinking about what happened after the net fell and, and what horrors just like continue to lurk in just nodes that got disconnected yeah. that somehow those things made it out and are out in the real world in some sort of synthetic body trying to oh, rebuild yeah, yeah. or rebuild the net. Like yep. they want to get home again, right? Like they're like, you know, um, agent Smith in the matrix. He doesn't want to be in the matrix. He wants to get back home again, right? What happens when an AI wants to get home? And it's mm -hmm. trapped in the real world, right? Mm -hmm. um, and its home has no home. And if you did actually get back to its home, everything gets so much worse. Right. <laughs> because well, I mean, of all we, the things that are left there. <laughs> we already know that that AIs exist in Cyberpunk Red. We already know that Soul Killer is a thing. Yes. You know, so and we we know, you know, this is Cyberpunk Edge Runners, but like the idea of of engrams and you know, like copying them and putting them into something else, you know, uh, in 2077, Cyberpunk 2077. We know that that happens, but like the beginnings of that started in like 2020, 2030 in the cyberpunk universe. So what you're talking about is totally possible. It may not be, it may not be as perfect as Johnny Silverhand in cyberpunk 2077, <laughs> like the transfer of that AI from the old net to a real body may not also to add in a, in a twist may not have gone well. Right. Like only part of it may have come in intact and maybe a part of it is basically just in pure pain or what it perceives as pain. Right. And if you were worried about a, a cyber psycho that still had meat on its bones, what about, you know, what about something that is basically pure metal? has has no morals or ethics that humanity would understand and just wants the pain to stop and just wants the pain to stop but doesn't know how yeah that's not terrifying at all so i think so part yeah. of this goes to like the theme of the campaign right and like how dark do people want to get and what what edges do you want to run up against there's right? another detail <laughs> that you might want to put in there um <laughs> it, for our session zero or or our, our our questionnaire sort of thing is like how dark <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm making a note. <laughs> yeah, and and like we we know a, f a fair number of our uh of our players fairly well, but it's it's always good to like check in with them and say, "Hey, is body horror okay?" or is right. is like 
like consult, you know, confronting your own humanity or confronting your own death. Is that okay? You know, like, like putting up some of those, you know, having that discussion and maybe having some safety tools in place is, is not a bad thing. And uh, Ascendant 8 mentioned, not to mention, the legions of rabid viruses trying to spill out of the internet at any given time. They're simulated as a mass of vicious white rabbits with sharp teeth and bloodshot eyes in the net. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So... Pointed teeth. Yes. You know, know, the, the... the, the terrifying rabbits from Watership Down, that, that's what's running rampant in the... Uh... Oh, yeah. I was thinking uh, Monty Python. I was also thinking Monty Python, but then Got I went to Watership Down because I love, I love the book and was terrified of the movie, um, as many people my age were. Um, and so a final thing, this kind of takes us back to conventional type things, but I just came across this story today uh, that was on Wired about IRS seizes another Silk Road hacker's 3.36 billion Bitcoin stash. Wow. Which was hidden, and I think I've used up all of my um, all of my uh, free access to this for today, but it was, it was hidden. Uh, I think it's going to let me see it. It was, all right. See if I can get the there. Bitcoins. I got it. The Bitcoins were ultimately found stored in what's been described in court records as a single board computer hidden in a popcorn can, along with more than 600,000 in cash and precious metals, all held in a safe under the floorboards of a bathroom closet in the person's home. All right. So basically, as part of the deal, he told the IRS where to find it. How much of that stuff is in in the time of Red? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, like, even just thinking about it... There, there's a couple ways you could think about it, but like <laughs> what happens if that was in, you know, some high end apartment complex that is now decrepit and someone finds out, oh, that guy's uh, stash of currency, you know, digital currency is still sitting there underneath the floorboards. Right. But if, but if you found out about it, somebody else probably found out about it and now it's a race to go find it. And to yes. stop and and of course to like get through anybody else who happens to you happen to run across while they're trying to find it too. But this is like this is like the part where Cyberpunk is now, right? Like this is yeah. this is this would have been a this plot is now, like, now. point. This, this is, is now now. This yeah. is actually happening now. <laughs> what what actually surprises me about this title of three point three six billion Bitcoin stash is that current valuation Bitcoin or is that pre crash Bitcoin? Like I I, I think that I think I think it was the current valuation because there was another heist. There was another, they found multiple, the IRS has found multiple of these stashes, which they talk about. There was a bigger one. I'm trying to think of how it went. There, there was a bigger one, but then like they found it during the crash, like the value had plummeted, but there mm-hmm. were more actual Bitcoins at the time they found it. So that the actual stash was valued as less, even though there were more Bitcoins. But in any case, I'm not, uh, this was a, this was an, a today article, I think. Yeah, it was published today. So I think. Yeah, I mean, because that's that's huge. A... Because in uh, November 2021, Bitcoin was worth sixty four thousand four hundred per Bitcoin, and now it's worth eighteen thousand three hundred and sixty seven per Bitcoin. So like, it it is precipitously dropped. And yet it's still worth $3.36 billion. (laughs) And in my, like, I'm not a crypto person. uh, So I'm not either. In my opinion, (laughs) it's all fake money. But if someone's willing to pay that amount, then then it's real money. Right. Yes, exactly. So. So. uh... (laughs) Wow. 
So having talked about all of this, hopefully we've given you some ideas, Ken, on some like maybe three, four or five different. I don't, I don't know how many you've got ideas you've got in your head, but, you know, like some two, three sentences a piece um, yes. and then some tones or descriptors that might go along with those. I think I think you are you ready for that? Are we good with that? Yeah, I think so. I think I I have my fodder. I just need to sit down and and kind of put it put it together. I'll bounce it off of you, so you know, like you could give me some suggestions based on this this uh, because it'll be the first time I've tried this, but I really like this idea. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a couple of different things, like we said before, like they could overlap or intersect in some interesting ways. It's just that as we identify the particular focus, right? Like, well, you know, we want to do. That the whole sea raid thing sounds cool, but like again, like the rest of these are just stories in the screen sheets. <laughs> yep. Um, here's uh, we have another suggestion, which is like, what if it's inside the cyber arm that was stripped off some chunk chump, and uh, that had gotten shot, and the arm got sold to a player? Like, what if what if the player has a like a, a cyber arm that they bought at a Ripper dock and it has some right. sort of secret compartment that they could be have been walking around for most of the most of the campaign arc, not knowing there was a secret compartment in it until someone figures out, oh, hey, that's so and so's old arm. And I bet that's where the stuff is. And then now you have to. Either like, I don't know, like it could be like a. um what was the not streets of fire um what was what was the gang one where the gang was going through all of new york trying to get home oh uh escape from new york wait are you saying escape from not no uh warriors warriors it'd be like a kind of like a warriors thing of like oh that you've got a you've got that thing in your arm you know you can't figure out how to open it maybe and you have to get to to a safe place to get it open and out and you know, while everybody else in the city is tr is gunning for you, and I like you know, I could see it also as a subplot where, like every other episode, someone's trying to kill you and you mm -hmm. don't know why, yes. right? And so, and and you can't figure out why because nice. no one knows, right? Right. Like except these guys who maybe like they just got out, like they they unleashed a little bit of information and they've been able to track the arm, and now it's just like the 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 kid from. Uh, better off dead like i want my two dollars right and they're just chasing you around the city taking random pot shots yep and yep. eventually it all comes to a head yep <laughs> or, an or, or uh yeah and 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 maybe the people you're that are being sent are being hired so they know hey you got to kill this guy and bring his body back but they don't say anything about the arm they don't say anything about a hidden thing it's just like right we will pay you to bring this guy dead or alive uh back and and we'll pay you really big bucks for it and then you've got right. all sorts of people coming after you and they don't know why they're just being paid for it and they're like it's money dude right right everybody thanks for listening uh we try to do this every tuesday at around 8 p.m eastern and uh so uh, we love feedback uh this is one of our first times where we've had a lot of a uh, lot of comments during the channel. So hopefully you guys have enjoyed that. Uh, we certainly have. Uh, if you have feedback outside of this, uh, we love it. So send it to us podcast at layerofsecrets.com or via Twitter at layer of secrets. Um, well, we'll see how long Twitter lasts. 
Uh, <laughs> um, as I said, we stream this live on Twitch. If you want to get your fix of things early and unedited, we are Layer of Secrets, one word over there. You can also visit layerofsecrets.com and leave us some feedback, topic ideas, or your own thoughts on what we've talked about. All right. It's been great, Chooms. <laughs> we'll see you soon.